Chapter thirty five of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Section thirty five Lady Estella's Story. Looking at Lady Estella, Earl saw that her face had grown very pale and her hands trembled it was so strange for him on this beautiful sunlit morning to find himself seated by this pale high-bred lady the sun shone through the thick green branches and the light fell in slanting rays on the greensward the birds sang gaily in the trees the sweet pitiless birds who sing whether we are in sorrow or joy the wild flowers raised their beautiful heads so fair and delicate so fragile and sweet there was no distress in nature dear lady hereford he said spare yourself you do not like to tell me this story why do it i must she said never mind the pain for me the pain has been greater in bearing it for twenty years than it is now in the telling of it looking at me earl moray can you imagine what i was twenty years ago yes he said gently i can imagine it time does not dim and lie in a face like yours i can see you now as you were then the lightest heart ah me the happiest girl there was not one so happy proud because every one told me how much i had to be proud of i was beautiful and the duke of downsbury's only daughter what people call high prizes in this world ought to have been mine listen to what i have won at eighteen i had my debut in the great world and before i had even time to look around me i had a number of lovers and admirers thanks to the prestige of my father's name i had more offers during the first season than falls to the lot of most young ladies there was not one among the crowd of admirers of whom i cared none interested me none touched me young as i was i longed for something that i did not find i had great ideas of the happiness and sanctity of love in this new world i heard but little of it people talked of diamonds opera-boxes country houses pin-money settlements but i heard little of love i had firmly resolved in my own mind that when i married it should be for love alone i had everything else rank title wealth position i wanted love one great man after another great according to the world's estimation laid title and wealth before me the duke of downsbury's heiress i had flattery homage compliments praise but not what i thought to be love in discussing different offers my mother would say this one belongs to the oldest family in england of another he has the fairest estates of the country or another he is a great favourite at court of another he can give his wife jewels fit for an empress but she never urged as a recommendation that any one loved me as a rule one values least that which one has and longs most for that which one has not i was born and reared in the very heart of luxury i knew nothing else so that i valued splendour and magnificence luxury and wealth far less than i valued love and while wiser heads than mine were occupied in discussing which would be the most advisable suitor for me i was occupied in looking for someone who would love me is it natural earl moray that one should long to be loved he looked at the pale sad face just as natural lady hereford as the thirsty flower should long for dew he replied so i think i made a terrible mistake i wrecked my whole life yet i think if i had to live over again i should look first for love one evening there was a ball at the palace and i went with the duchess my mother on our way she began to talk to me about a certain lord alverton whose proposal of marriage had delighted her 
"'I should certainly advise you, my dear child,' she said, "'to accept him. "'He will be at the palace this evening, "'and I shall be pleased to hear that you have accepted him.' "'But I do not love him, mamma. I said. "'She looked surprised. "'Never be vehement, Estella,' she said, "'in a tone of reproof. "'It is not ladylike. "'And, my dear child, remember, "'rank has its penalty. "'In ours we do not marry for love.' She meant it all kindly. She loved me then, and loves me now, better than half the mothers in this world love their children. She spoke as she herself had been taught, but I was resolved never to learn the same lesson. I would marry for love, and nothing else. I entered the palace gates, resolved to dismiss his lordship, and wait until someone loved me. As I was promenading with one of my partners, my eyes fell suddenly upon the handsomest man I had ever seen, a face that irresistibly drew my attention. It was so handsome, high-bred and debonair, I looked at him again and again in wonder. I watched him as he spoke to different people. I saw that he left everyone whom he addressed laughing. I wondered who he could be. A royal duchess spoke to him and seemed to enjoy his conversation, so that he must be one of us, I thought to myself. Suddenly I asked my companion, "'Who is the gentleman to whom the Duchess of K is talking?' He laughed a little low. "'That is Captain Ulrich Studley,' he replied, "'the handsomest, the most popular, and the most good-for-nothing man in London.' "'Good-for-nothing,' I repeated. "'How is that? What do you mean?' "'Perhaps I should apologise for the expression,' said my companion. "'But really I know of none other so suitable. "'He is a Studley, and you know the character of the race.' "'Indeed I do not,' was my earnest reply. "'The Studleys are all faithless and debonair,' he continued. "'They have made more love and broken more hearts than any other race, even of twice their number.' "'But everyone seems to like Captain Studley. See how people listen to him, talk to him, laugh at him.' "'I tell you, Lady Hereford, that he is really the most popular man in London.' "'But how can he be popular,' I persisted, "'if he is what you say?' "'Faithless and debonair,' he repeated. "'but I do not know that the world will like him any the less for that. "'He has a handsome face. Look at his smile. "'It is the gleam of sunshine. "'And to tell you the truth, Lady Hereford, "'I know of no one else who can talk as he does.' "'Then my partner left me, "'and I became engrossed in watching Captain Studley. "'Surely no one could be more popular. "'No one passed him without a word or a jest. "'I watched him as he bent over the white hands of fair ladies, "'and I was mad enough to feel something like jealousy when he seemed to like one. "'Then, by some accident, I can never remember how it happened, "'our eyes met, I saw him start, and I hope he admired me. "'Ah, dear heaven, what a foolish child I was! "'Then he went away hurriedly, and in a few minutes after he was bowing before me, "'while someone introduced him to me. The extreme bitterness of the pain has long since left me, and I can remember that when he asked me to dance with him, and my hand touched his arm, it was as though the happiness of my life had suddenly grown complete. Thinking of myself as I was then, tears of pity filled my eyes. It was a long dance, and when it ended, Captain Studley did not seem more anxious to part from me than I was to part from him. The spell was beginning to work on me as it had worked on others. His bright, laughing eyes, handsome face, rich, clear voice, the inexhaustible fund of wit and mirth, the tender, chivalrous deference that he knew so well how to pay, delighted me. He asked me if I should like to see a famous picture that had been recently sent to the palace. I said, yes, glad of any pretext for being longer with him. I do not know how time passed. I was happier than I had ever been in my life before. Suddenly, Captain Studley asked me with a smile, where was my mother, the Duchess? 
I told him she had been invited to join the royal circle, and was there now, I believed. "'Fortune is kind to me tonight,' he said with a smile. Simply enough, I asked him why he should call my mother's preoccupation fortunate to him. He laughed outright. "'My dear Lady Hereford,' he said, "'if her grace were at hand, do you suppose I should be allowed this delightful half-hour here with you?' "'Why not?' I asked wonderingly. "'Because I am what it is called a detrimental. "'I am a poor younger son whose presumption, as the dowagers say, is frightful. "'Have I any right, possessing under ten thousand a year and no title, "'to monopolise, even for five minutes, the smiles of Lady Estella Hereford?' I knew that he was speaking satirically, but it struck me, at the same time, that his views and mine would, upon many points, agree. "'What nonsense about being a poor younger son,' I said. "'What difference does it make?' He laughed again. "'That is the most sensible question I ever heard, Lady Hereford, and as a younger son I thank you for it. It makes a wonderful difference in the opinion of most people.' "'It makes none in mine,' I said decidedly, and then I saw him look steadfastly at me. I never even gave a thought to the significance of my words. Suddenly I remembered the conversation I had about him. I looked up into his face. "'Captain Studley,' I asked, "'why do people call you faithless and debonair?' "'Do they?' he asked. "'I do not think that that's such a bad character, Lady Estella.' "'Is it true that all the Studleys are faithless?' I repeated. "'I wish I dared say—' "'Try one of them, Lady Estella. "'That might be the tradition of the family, "'but it would be cruel to judge every member by it. "'After all, it is something to be debonair, "'so I must be content.' "'Looking at him and listening to him, "'I did not believe one word of it. "'There was a charm about him "'that no words of mine could possibly describe, "'a charm that I believe, even now, "'belongs to no one else on earth.' I soon found that what he said was perfectly true. As I returned to the ballroom, I saw my mother looking for us. Her eyes did not fall with a very pleased expression on Captain Studley. She came up to us and made some little observation to him. The tone of it was barely civil, and he was quick enough to notice it. He gave me one laughing glance as though he would say, You see, I told you I was a detrimental. Then he bowed and went away. My dear Estella, she said, have you been long with Captain Studley? I told her how long. She looked displeased. "'Who introduced you to him?' she asked. "'Ah, uh, how ashamed I was. I could not remember. I had never even noticed.' She turned to me. "'It was a mistake,' she said gently. "'He is a handsome man, but the Studleys are all alike. I should not wish you to fall into the habit of wasting your time with him.' "'Wasting my time?' I repeated the phrase over and over again. The only gleam of happiness I had found in this great world was looked coldly upon by my mother, and called, Wasting My Time. I went home with my head and heart full of him, longing only for the hour to come when I should meet him again. Looking back, I pity myself. Ulmeray, I pity myself. End of section 35